Well, hello once again, everybody, to the Beaver Tales podcast. I'm Josh Warden. This podcast features former Oregon State athletes. We talk about what they've done since their sports career ended. Today, I'm talking with a former top 100 player in the nation, a basketball forward for the men's basketball program, ending his career four years ago, Daniel Gomez. He played for a national powerhouse, Oak Hill Academy in Virginia, before coming over to Oregon State. But Daniel's not your classic story of a guy who got noticed on the AAU circuit in some big city in America. Daniel grew up in Senegal, which is on the western coast of Africa. He came to the U.S. partway through his high school career and signed to Oregon State, but he missed multiple seasons due to injury, including a broken leg that he suffered the summer before his freshman year. But he did end up playing four seasons at OSU, known for his tenacious defense and his shot-blocking ability, and he finished his career in the top 10 in OSU history in block shots. His senior year, the Beavers made the NCAA tournament for the first time in 26 seasons. Most of our conversation, however, does not center around basketball. It centers around what he's doing now, working up in Portland for a French international school, a French-American school. After all, Senegal was colonized by France, and so we do talk both about the history of his home nation, the colonization, and then moving to a country where there's a different yet in some ways similar history in terms of how his own people were treated, or at least people with his skin color were treated, and how he went about learning the history of his new country while not forgetting the past of his home nation, and how he combined the two, learned from the two, and worked through adversity in his own life. And there were a lot of family stories that he shares that I think will make him a compelling story. And if you don't already know Daniel Gomez, I think you'll get to like him by the end of this conversation. Daniel Gomez has traveled a lot around the world, and the nonprofit that I'm mentioning today is also a very well-traveled charity, Convoy of Hope, centers work around a bunch of different countries around the world, several different, different continents. They're one of the premier disaster relief response organizations. They provide food, supplies, and humanitarian services to impoverished or otherwise needy populations throughout the world. So if you can check out Convoy of Hope in lieu of advertisers, I like to mention some different charities, and you can check them out at convoyofhope.org. Thanks for tuning in to the Beaver Tales podcast. Enjoy this conversation with Daniel Gomez. Standing at six foot ten, he edges out Jarmal Reed. He's now the tallest guest I've had on the Beaver Tales podcast. All right, here is Daniel Gomez. Thanks for listening, everybody. Daniel, thanks for talk with me on the Beaver Tales podcast. It's good to see you again. How you doing? Hey, man. Thanks a lot for having me. Uh, it'll be fun to chat. So you were you were born in Senegal, and you speak. Yes four languages so before we start i want to ask you which language would you like to do this interview in <laughs> i mean i've been working at the french american school so that would be nice if we can do it in french but yeah english should be cool for sure. okay well we'll start with english but we'll see if we can mix in a couple different languages as we go uh okay. what what are the four that you speak so uh like in senegal we have our national language which is wolof so it's pretty much like English in the United States. It's the main language. And since we were colonized by the French, you have the French part. And my family come from a, a country, a Portuguese colony called Guinea-Bissau. So they immigrated to Senegal and that's where my mom and dad were born. And, you know, but my grandparents were from Guinea-Bissau originally. And we have our family dialect called Manjak. And well, 
I don't know, like I would say it's kind of similar to Creole. Like we borrow a few words from Creole, but that's about it. You know, it's totally different. But yeah, that's my background and, you know, Wolof, you know, and coming here, I also learned English, which is the main language for me right now, because that's pretty much what I speak 24-7. But yeah. So did English become the fifth language that you learned or I don't know if the dialect the counts? Okay. The just, when you, if you like read a book, do you just read books in any particular language? Have you read books by authors of, of a variety? It seems like that would open up the potential books you could read. I mean, growing up, like in Senegal, all the books I used to read were French books, like Moliere, you know, Jean-Paul Starts and like all those guys. But, you know, since I came here, it's pretty much English. Right now, I'm booking, I'm reading a book called Purpose Driven Life. And it's a really that, interesting book. It just started. Is that Rick Warren? Uh, yes. Yeah, Rick Warren. Really oh. interesting because, you know, after college, you just, you, like, you don't really know what, 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 what the next move going to be. And just having that purpose is really important. And so far, it's been interesting. I really like it. Yeah, I just read that book, gosh, about a year or two ago. And so oh, wow. it talks a lot about, yeah, purpose, what you're made for, what to look for in life. So w- what do you think of what that book's taught you and what you're learning either through that book or broader? What, what's something that you've learned? I mean, it's just like, you know, not knowing and like finding your faith also, you know, like not knowing, you know, where, because, you know, I embark in this journey by myself pretty much like, you know, I have a great support of people that helped me all along, but, you know, I'm at the point where all the decisions I have to make is, like, for myself. So I always, you know, trying to just make it the, the best decision, like, but, you know, like, I was at the point right after college where I didn't know what to do, like, you know, you didn't know if you still wanted to play, you know, despite all the injuries and stuff, I don't know my career is gonna like going to be so having this book right now you know it's kind of giving me that purpose just like sit back and relax and seeing focusing on on one goal at a time because I was all over the place right after college so but yeah I haven't finished it yet so yeah we'll love to chat about it after I sure I read a few different books kind of on a similar topic in the genre of, I don't know if you'd call it self-help necessarily. I I don't love that term, but deeper books that, that, you know, trying to build a philosophy, build a life purpose. And I've kind of tried to read books of a variety of backgrounds where some of the authors may be secular, where they're not really bringing in religious beliefs at all. Some may be Christian, some may be other religions. So I try to read books of a variety of authors to really get a feel for what I do believe. How, how do you approach this one book in particular? I mean, he's a pastor or, or used to be a pastor, I think. So how do you approach it and like who you learn from? Cause it depends a lot on what life lessons you're learning based on who you hear. So how do you yeah. approach that? I mean, uh, like I grew up uh, being Catholic, you know, I did my first communion and everything, but it's just like, you know, like seeing the other side, like, Ultimately, I think, you know, everything happened for a reason and God is there, you know, he set out a plan for us, but it's just like, you know, you don't want to shy away from the challenges and just like go for it. Like whatever you have your mind, because 
when I played basketball, you know, it was basketball. I wanted to be a basketball player. So I have a set schedule. This is what I want to do to succeed. But when it comes to the work, you know, it like it's sometimes it's hard to just come up with the, I don't know, like that motivation or like something you're just going to follow to lead you to that pathway. You know, like for basketball, it's so easy because you have your coaches and, you know, you know you got to train. But when it comes to the work work experience, it's pretty much your your own motivation. Jobs are there, but is this what I want to do, you know? It's really interesting, but, you know, a learning, a learning process for me as well. There's a lot to be learned in books like that. And, and after all, you're still pretty young. I mean, you're what, 27, 28 years old 28. now, 28. Yeah. Um, one of the things that it seemed like you figured out pretty early on in life is the relational ability to make friends and get people to like you because I've asked the teammates that you've had, I, you know, I talked with Matt Dolan recently with Jarmal Reed with Roberto Nelson with uh, Langston Morris Walker with Dylan Livesay and I asked most of these guys, if you were to rank your top 10 nicest people, the people that you, you personally know in your life and rank them on their niceness, where would Daniel Gomez end up on that list? And, Everybody I've talked with has all said top three. They've all put you in their top three nicest people. So where did that come from as you're growing up? And I don't know if that's just a family thing that, that you grew up with parents who really instilled that in you, but you just naturally, I guess, or I don't know, how did you become to be so nice? I mean, that, that means a lot. That means a lot because, you know, I have, you know, so many teammates and, you know, it's just like I always like value and treating people like, right. So like that's that's the main thing. Like, I always value relationship, a good relation, good healthy relationship. That doesn't mean that you know everyone's gonna like you. Or, but I always feel like I have to treat people right if you want that in return. So that's how my relationship with all my teammates went. Like, I always like you know I was always you know willing to listen. And like, if something was wrong with anything, I wouldn't mind talking to them about it. So it's just how you treat people pretty much. And I think my mom, my mom, like from the young age, kind of instilled that in me. And, uh, you know, and it's just, it's just how it is. You got to treat people right if you want the same. So like, that's just how it goes pretty much. So if you're on several people's top three nicest people, if I asked you, who's your top three? Who do you think of as some of the nicest people? Or, you know, maybe one name. You don't have to fill out the whole list. That'd, that'd put you on the spot too much. But who's someone that comes to mind, whether it be a basketball teammate or whoever it may be? Who's on your list? I mean, man, that's a, that's a tough one. I, I wasn't prepared for that one. But I can sit here, I can sit here and name so many people. But, yeah, like uh, Justin is up there. Uh, Shay, even Stevie, I can, you know, like, you know, Trace, like, there are so many people I can sit here and name, like, there are so many great people I've had the opportunity to mingle with in my life. Those are some good teammates. Justin Stangle was a, a classic Shay Enjai. I mean, those are Stevie Thompson, Trace Tinkle. Those are some, some big players. Uh, we'll come back to kind of your transition from America or transition to America and what that was like, but as far as when you were what you're doing academically at Oregon State, you were an anthropology major, 
then started on your master's degree, I think even before you finished your playing career, you're doing interdisciplinary studies. So what types of classes were you taking for that master's degree? Because that's a very vague name, interdisciplinary studies. And what did that lead to after uh, OSU? Yeah, uh, you know, inter, uh, interdisciplinary studies, uh, I had to combine three fields of study. I had exercise, sports science, education, and anthropology, because uh, anthropology has just been, like, from the first class I took at OSU, I was just like, man, this is what I want to do, because I uh, love to travel, learn from different cultures, and whenever I had the opportunity, I really, really wanted to travel, but yeah, like from the first class I took, I think uh, it was about like studying the people of, um, like, I don't think it was Africa, but like maybe Hawaiians or something like that. And I just like, it was like, yo, this is really what I pride myself. Cause, you know, I just, like, I consider myself the ci- a citizen of the world. Like, I want to fit in wherever I end up, you know. I had a chance to travel a lot with basketball, but like, try to make it an experience, not only for basketball, but just getting to learn a lot about the culture, like what I did in New Zealand. But yeah, uh, interdisciplinary, unfortunately, I uh, I didn't finish the program. Been uh, talking to people and seeing if I can actually go back and finish it, because, you know, it'd be nice to have a master's, you know, done. But yeah, uh, it was interesting. I took some, uh, some classes, like, uh, I remember there was one about just like having discussion, like rhetoric, and there was also a lot of classes about like, you know, social work, the like civil rights movement and stuff like that. So it was, it was really interesting. So now that you're working at a French American school, what, what does that look like, your role there, your job and what you're kind of doing day to day? So uh, I've been there for almost three years because right after college, I pretty much started there. And uh, it's been it's been a wonderful experience for me. I'm an extracurricular aide there, and I also coach soccer, middle school soccer and basketball. And I also have like extracurricular, like usually we do after school program. So I have a basketball class, and sometimes like it depends on whatever we have in the curriculum. We help kids with homework, you know, do some fun activities, like you know, like sometimes we. All the after-school program you can think of, we try to do that with the kids. And yeah, like this year has been, it's been really weird because since, uh, you know, COVID started, we had to do the work remotely and Zoom was something we use a lot. You know, even for my basketball classes, I had to go to the rooftop, I live in the apartment and, uh, you know, do some ball handling. Sometimes if the, the family has a hoop you can do some shooting drills and stuff like that but it was definitely a challenge this year you know things 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 were different but we were able to pull through you know the school year ended yesterday so yeah what's the name of the school that you're at uh, it's called FAIS French Interna- uh, French American International School gotcha if your home country in Senegal was originally or not originally, but it was colonized by France, on one hand, that would give you a preparedness to know the language or the culture. But on another hand, I don't know what the, you know, feeling in Senegal about 
France is, but there can be a variety of feelings about the country that once colonized your nation. So to, to work at a French American school, what is maybe your opinion or, or, you know, other citizens of Senegal on the relationship with France as a country or their people? I mean, how, how does that work in your mind? I mean, it's been a, like, a, like our experience with France has been like till this day, we so much interconnected with France in like in the surf like uh if you look at the currency we before france uh had the euro we used to have uh, they used to have the franc francais which is the franc and uh you know our currency was pretty much based on that so you know economy wise like you know uh we were colonized by the french so <laughs> you can tell that during the like industrial revolution and all that a lot of goods came from senegal for for like that's just colonization but then you know after our independence we still we still pretty much had good relationship like cooperation you know a lot of things were done because back in the days like there was three uh we call them community if you were born there you were a french citizen or an island Rufus and Saint Louis, yeah, it's, it's been a long history. Like, you know, there were really bad aspects of it, but there are also some good aspects. Because if you go back, like my family, pretty much half of my family lived in France. My dad was a French citizen, you know? So it's, <laughs> I don't know, like either way you see it, sometimes you just gotta, you gotta move on like you know you can't just hold on to like oh we were being oppressed by these people at a uh certain time of, in history but you know you just gotta move along and try to make everything better at this point because we can't really go back and do anything you know like you can talk about reparation and stuff like that for what we endure but i mean <laughs> it's a discussion it's another discussion yeah i mean they're plenty of discussions i don't know how similar not to conflate two different countries and two different histories but you grew up in one country where the nation was colonized by a european country and then you moved when you were what a junior in high school is when you came to america yeah. and you go to idaho and move to a nation where there's a whole history not of well the whole history of slavery so to I don't know how much of like American history you learned in school growing up or what you then learned. I mean, as a junior in high school, you may have taken some history classes or, you know, government classes. So when you learned about American history, whenever that was as a kid or in high school, how much did the two histories feel similar or were there a lot of distinctions in your mind about what Senegal and what certain people in America went through? I mean, we actually, we actually, cause, uh, like we have a slave house in Senegal called Gore Island where the slave used to be shipped from, uh, but Senegal is like uh, the closest to the Americas, like far west of Africa. It's like in the tip of the, the Atlantic Ocean. And like from what history says, like the current used to send, you didn't even need to do a lot of work because the current was going straight to the Americas. So it was, like when I go back, there's Gore Island where you can visit and like, you know, people would talk about the history of like how the slave was shipped from Senegal and Ghana all the way to like in Angola, all the way to the United to the to America. And like you can go to, you know, Brazil, Cuba, like 
some of them in Louisiana. So they were all over all over the place. So we we kind of we kind of were like connected pretty much because you know like sometimes when people do those ancestry tests and stuff like that, you know, I'm sure there are some people that have their origin from Senegal, but it's just it's part of history, and I think you know like it's it's good to to not lose that sense of history like i see a lot of a lot of things are happening today but you know like the same thing happened in other countries as well like if you go to new zealand you know the maori people are there you know they were the first people to live in new zealand and you know european came and massacres like a lot of people were killed but it's just history but one thing one thing I I pride myself is like when you when like let's just not forget that that really happened. Like when I go to New Zealand, I love talking to local people about like what the experience was. And when I went there, like I'm just speaking of my own experience, I was amazed on how like the white people and the Maori people, like like you go them, they respect the culture. Like I don't see that much in the US. I don't know what it is like. I don't know if they're kind of worried about cultural appropriation or something like that. But when I go there, I see white people doing the haka and you know, they kind of connect with native like Maoris and it's just so nice to see. And you know, like it would be nice to see that in the US, like just that coming together and just, you know, like, yeah, you know, this happened, it was really messed up. And like, even if you have to apologize, it's not you yourself who did it, but just do it like knowing that, you know, like whatever word you use that day can impact someone. And I just, that's how I see it. But like, you know, let's just not live in denial that all these things happen. And sometimes you might hear so many theories and, but it's just what happened. Like sometimes we just gotta own up to it and say, you know, this was really bad, you know, and like whatever is bringing back those bad memories, we we got to get rid of them so people can live united, you know, and it's called the United States for a reason. Like, you know, Africa, I wish we were united today, but we don't have that opportunity. So, but yeah, it's just, it's just what it is. Sometimes you, you just got to own up to your mistakes and move on, you know. Yeah, I, I like your, I can tell the goal that you have is ultimately reconciliation and unity of wanting people to be on the same page and for Kiwis to be doing the haka, whether or not that was their own history. And you are also right to bring up at least the term cultural appropriation, because depending on the situation, you got to be careful. So I don't, I don't fully know the answers, but I like I your goal of unity. However, we achieve that, you know, I don't, I'm no expert on that, but I, I like I like what you have to say as far as when you first came to Idaho and that's an, of all the places to move in America, that's an interesting one to first come into what, how well do you feel you fit into the culture of Sun Valley, Idaho? I mean, it seems like you're still close with your host parents. You're going to go visit them this summer. So you've got at least some people that you really connected with well, but it did, did it seem like your classmates were friendly and accepting or what did that feel like? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a really good question, but like, you know, right when I when I when I left Senegal and came here, I actually went to San Luis Obispo and lived with a the family there for two and a half months. 
really wonderful, like wonderful family. You know, they really took care of me. And I was playing AU when I was there. So, you know, took care of me. And during the school year, that's when I went to, to Idaho. And getting to Idaho, like, there was actually another kid who was actually, like, uh, we were two black kids at the, in the whole entire school, but it never felt different. It never felt that, like, it never occurred to me that discrimination, like, or anything in that sort happened in the United States, because it was such, a, like, a fun-loving fa- uh, community, I would say, because every, every time people would drop by me, they would say, hi, oh, that's the new kid in town, and, like, people would always reach out you know, like always coming to talk to me. I was kind of shy at first because I didn't speak English. So I was kind of just, you know, sitting by myself. Even my host mom, like sometimes we we tell stories. He's just like, man, I don't know what was going on with you. Like when you first got here, you weren't coming out of your room at all. Like you only come to learn, you know, just to eat and then go back to your room. But I was just like, man, I wasn't, I wasn't comfortable, you know, like when you move to a different country, you don't speak the language. I don't know, because I knew the, the culture was different. Everything, it's really different. The way we eat, the way we, the language, everything was different. So it took me a while. And when I started uh, feeling comfortable, I started opening up more and it kind of helped me learn the language too. But yeah, Idaho was a great place, man. I love that place. People are amazing. And you really feel that sense of community. It's just like living in Corvallis all over. People are really like that togetherness, you know. Because when I went there, I was in a, like I used to go help out with the French classes at at the elementary school. And, you know, they used to ask me, so like, tell us about your family. And I told them about the history of my dad. My dad was living in France. He had dialysis, so kidney problems. So he had to like do treatment, like dialysis, every three, like twice, twice a week, every two weeks, or something like that. So we didn't see him for ten years. And you know, when I told him that, I saw the kids' reaction. Everyone was so shocked, and they actually surprised me. Organized a fundraiser, raised so much money, made it. Like, I uh, did a dinner, like, African theme, brought some African drums. Like, the kids were dressed up, and uh, they raised so much money. Sent me to Senegal, so on my way to, I bought the ticket to go to France. And on my way to France, they were like, oh, you need a visa, you know, because I have the Senegalese passport, so I couldn't just get out and go. So, well, I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Senegal and see if I can get those paperwork done, like get the visa and come back to see my dad. And when I went to Senegal, after a few days, my dad passed away. So it was, it was, it was such a crazy, crazy story. And, but yeah, like those kids, they really had a great, like the craziest impact on my life, you know, to this day, I'm so thankful for them. Like most of them are in college now. And you know, looking back and just like, I've been in this country for 11 years, really. Like, it's so insane to think about. It seems like yesterday, you know, coming here, not knowing, you know, not knowing everything pretty much and to be able to go to college and get a degree. So it's been a wonderful experience for real, for sure. Yeah, for them to, to rally around you and yeah. in a story that is both uplifting and terribly sad at the same time. I know, it's, 
I just, I just, man, like it was one of the, like it impacted me so much. I was just like, man, like being in fifth grade and having those thoughts and just like, you know, like that's something I couldn't, you know, tell them. Like I was just like, this is so crazy. Like these kids are so young and, you know, like they really impacted my life pretty much, you know. So, yeah, that was big. That was big. Yeah. Last thing before we talk about some basketball memories at Oregon State, when you were studying in high school, you know, you did a couple of years of high school in America. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you learn about, let's use Juneteenth as an example, because we're recording this on Juneteenth. I'll re- release this next week, but we're, we're talking on Friday. And I'll be honest, I grew up in Corvallis and I never had a black educator throughout middle school, high school, wherever. And I didn't, as unless I forgot about it, I didn't learn about Juneteenth or the history of this day in particular at all. Was that something that you learned about in high school or knew about, or when did you learn? No, to be honest, I I I really didn't know what it was about. I saw I saw in some uh, movies or something like that in New York, people you know, you know, having that uh, black like flag and everything like parading, but I seriously didn't know that it was for like, you know, slavery being abolished was the reason why they were celebrating it. So, you know, that's why like sometimes you just can't let history slip like that because if you don't talk about it, people are just going to forget about it. It's it's exactly what happened because in Africa, like we, Africa is rich with history, but we didn't have like a lot of people writing it down. It was just passing through generation. And sometimes if you don't have the luxury like me to meet your grandparents, you seriously don't know anything about your family. So I think, you know, it's in the, it's in the discussion right now because I see a lot of people talking about it. It should be a national holiday. I think it's right. Like, you know, and <laughs> you know, the education, like it shouldn't be on one side. Like, I took anthropology and, but like, you know, like Africans are not really telling their story. It's actually like someone coming from a different country and observing. And, you know, when you observe, like, there's some fact you're going to get right, but also there's a lot you're going to miss out on. So, you know, I think it's just, I think it's going to be important for, for like, you know, black community or like, whatever community you you live in to be able to tell your own story you know like you know it's it's important to have facts right also but you know like we just can't let other people come and tell our story you know so yeah that's my biggest thing like it's it's kind of sad like you know just it's been i've been here for almost 11 years like june I mean, yeah, like June 25th is going to be 11 years in the U.S., but the crazy thing is, like, I'd never, like, know what uh, Juneteenth was about. So, but yeah, like, you know, social media, (laughs) social media is a great tool to learn. You know, it's been teaching me a lot. So I'm thankful for that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing that. You some of your own story and, and, uh, yeah, no, that's some, that's some good stuff. Um, As far as some, kind of connecting piece with with your basketball career in you kind of finished up your high school career I think 2011 was when you graduated from high school and then you went back to Senegal for like that summer before I mean you were already signed with Oregon State and you're going to play for Mm -hmm. Craig Robinson and got that all locked up so you go back to Senegal 
and you break your leg right before your freshman year. You get a metal rod inserted. And then 2012, you hurt the leg again and had the metal rod taken out as you're already shaking your head. And you, you know this story better than anybody, obviously. Uh, so you miss the next season also, your, your soft, what would have been your sophomore year. So you finally yeah. debut in 2013 and ironically your first ever game after waiting for two years you lose to Coppin State a school I'd, I'd never heard of that place uh, I, that was that was the first game I ever covered I, I was a freshman that year I'm a couple years behind you and I started you know being the reporter for the basketball team and that Coppin State game was the first game I ever showed up as a reporter I'm like I don't know who the school is and they just beat Oregon State but that was your debut also so then the next year, a shoulder injury sidelines you for a part of the year. Then you break your nose. Later that season, you're wearing a mask for a little bit. Junior year was pretty good. You know, top 10 all-time single-season blocks. Uh, I remember talking with you for an article around that time. You called that a revival year for you. It was a real good season. Then you're about to start your senior year. Ten days before that season starts, in practice, you get kicked and you break your hand. <laughs> uh, but you told me, I remember this interview, you told me, after you got kicked in practice, you were sitting on the ground and, and your hand was hurting and maybe you knew something was wrong. I don't know, you know how bad it is, you don't know. But you started laughing as you're on the ground. Why, why is that? Why did you start laughing? Because <laughs> it's, it's almost like it wasn't hurting anymore. Like I just know that, okay, this might be my reality now because that's what I was thinking about myself. I was like, yo, this can't be right. Like whenever something happened and I know it's going to be for the worst. So I just, I was like, man, like, I'm just not going to let that bother me anymore. You know, it's just what it is. Like if this is my destiny, if so be it. Like, you know, but one thing, one thing for real, like one thing I always pride myself in is like whenever I was out there, I always gave my hundred percent. Like, you know, things didn't go out the way I wanted it, but you know, like, I don't know like it's it's so frustrating when I look back and you know like all the the work I put in like leaving Senegal just you know coming here and just like having my mind set on one thing and everything didn't work out that way like sometimes it can be like <laughs> if you're not strong mentally you might lose it but I was just like I'm not gonna cry about this anymore I'm just gonna laugh about it so that's how I pretty much took it. I like that. I like that you can say that was so frustrating, but you say it with a smile, acknowledging the difficulty, but with a laugh at the same time. <laughs> so you already, you have a feel for how everything happens for a reason. That was one of the phrases I remember you using even back then. Um, and that the problems on the basketball court aren't going to ruin your happiness off the basketball court. Right. And so I'm curious, have you been able to use that ability similarly in life you know so, you know in your four years or so since Oregon State whatever problems have come up and I mean it's been a crazy year this year I know you were the biggest Kobe Bryant fan ever and then that situation plus coronavirus plus racial tensions plus whatever other stuff comes up in in life in general how have you or hasn't been difficult maybe you haven't always been able to keep a smile on your face I wouldn't blame you but but how have you been able to, to handle all of life's ups and downs outside of basketball I mean, this this year was really tough. Like, uh, like when COVID started, my mom had a stroke, which was, you know, like I had some down days because like every bad spell can happen on me, but I wouldn't wish anything upon my mom. Like 
I want her to be healthy. I want her to be the happiest person ever. But that really hit me hard. Like I didn't know how to deal with that. So for a few days, I actually really struggle. You know, like I'm not the type of who goes and talk a lot about my own problem because I've been through a lot in my you know young life. But you know, it's just like I always took it as a learning experience. Like whatever happened to me, I know that for a fact that you know something worse happened to someone else like i don't wish that but i just know that i don't have it worse than other people so every time i deal with adversity i just see it you know hey this really sucks but you know some other people have it worse like you know like some people like if i have a broken leg some people were born with disabilities they can't walk you know some people are paralyzed so I'm still able to rehab and maybe walk. So I just, I always try to see the positive side of when, you know, things happen. But yeah, like, you know, having my mom deal with that was, was pretty tough. And, you know, like I, I have asthma, so I had to, like everyone was sending me messages where like people with asthma are really at risk. So you gotta be careful. So. I was just like, you know, I was like, okay, I'm not going to go out. I'm just going to stay in, you know, if I need to go to the store, make a quick trip and come back. So, but yeah, like whenever, you know, I I got that call about my mom having a stroke, like it really hit me hard. She's doing much better now, but, you know, I really wish I was able to be there with her right now. I looked at tickets, but, you know, like you can really travel anywhere because it was in the peak you know, moment of like COVID. So, but yeah, uh, yeah, I, I just try to see the positive side of, you know, adversities, like, you know, whatever you go through, sometimes if you sit back and think about it, there are people that have it worse. Like you go to a hospital right now, there's some people, you know, going through way worse than yourself. So going through with so much adversity kind of just gave me that perspective and that's how I'm going to see life if I'm trying to find a job and you know, not being able to get it like I know there's some homeless people who don't have that opportunity right now so yeah yeah no that's good it seems like you may be 28 but it seems like you're a lot older than 28 in a lot of ways which is a good thing in terms of maturity and and life experience um, it's been awesome to, to hear from you and to hear your perspective and and, uh, and I say this, honestly, when you finish that book, when you finish The Purpose Driven Life, hit me up. Let's talk about it. I mean that. I like, will. Let's, I will. let's chat about it. I want to hear your thoughts and we can yeah. uh, discuss what you learned. That, that's, uh, that'll be awesome to, to talk about that. So thanks again yeah. for, for talking with me and coming on the podcast. It's been a blast, Daniel. Thank you for having me, man. Wow, what a tremendous story, a tremendous person, a tremendous interview. I, I really like Daniel Gomez, and I have a strong feeling if you made it this far into this episode, it's because you liked Daniel Gomez as well. A story that is so constantly up and down. There's so many low points of the story about his father dying, all the injuries he had, and yet to see how those fueled him to get to the high moments. I mean, it was the very adversities that he endured that helped him remain joyful through everything else that went on. And so it was really cool to hear his background, also conversations about how he learned the history of his own country in America, how he viewed himself and being one of the few African-Americans in his community, well, both in Corvallis, but also in Sun Valley, Idaho, where he first was living in in America. 
uh, or his first, you know, going to high school there. So a lot of really cool stories and uh, maybe fun to reconnect with him at some point down the road. There's a whole nother section of this conversation that I'm not putting in this episode. We talked about 15 more minutes after what you just heard. I mean, that was for a separate project. You may have heard me mention the baseball documentary I'm working on. It's a podcast documentary on the 2018 Beaver baseball team. That'll be the first one that'll come out, but down the road, there'll be one on the 2015 men's basketball program. But more information on that to come uh, months down the road. There'll be a whole lot of uh, information I'll give you, teasers, and it'll be a fun multi-part series. First on the baseball program, a lot of baseball interviews we've had in this podcast, and a lot more interviews to come. The next episode will be John Ratatich. He broke the indoor world record in high jump back in 1973. He was an Oregon State track and field athlete a half century ago. So look out for that episode with John Ratatich and keep tuned to the Beaver Tales podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. I hope you can share this with at least one friend. If you enjoyed this podcast, text a Beaver fan or someone who might like these sorts of conversations. I've been your host, Josh Warden. As always, good night and go Beavs.